Gentlemen, good morning. How is everyone doing on this final men's breakfast morning? Okay, a little slow there. The caffeine hasn't trickled in. We'll ask it one more time. How is everyone doing on this final men's... Okay, all right, okay. That's right. Well, I am, I am grateful. I am excited. I, I think I shared one of the first, maybe even the very first opportunity that I had to teach as part of this series this spring that this is a, an enjoyable part of my DNA of getting together with men in the morning over breakfast in the Bible. And that has been a part of what I've had the privilege of experiencing with you all. And like Butch was saying, so grateful for the many people who have served to facilitate this gathering. This doesn't just happen, right? You don't just say, show up and tables have automatically been set up and even salt and pepper shakers and numbered tabletops and all of this, all of this takes volunteer work. All the food that we have from our faithful volunteers, all of the greeting, all of the orchestration. And Butch wouldn't, wouldn't say this, but I'll say it. I, I'm grateful for Butch and for, um, for Dan Roper for their leadership and their vision for this breakfast as well. So yeah, let's give a, a round of applause. And, and for me personally, to have the privilege to partner with wonderful teachers of the Word of God, like Wes White and Dale South and Claude Marshall, uh, the, it, it is wonderful to sit and to hear the Word of God opened and taught and preached in ways that challenge me and spur me on towards love and good deeds as I see the day of Christ approaching. And I, and I know that that has been the case for you all as well, so... A particular word of gratitude for those guys, for the words that they have shared from the Word of God. So thank you guys. And, um, and we've been through quite a journey. Believe it or not, when we started back in January, Claude and Wes led us through a very short series on the book of Habakkuk. And then after that, we jumped into these books of First and Second Thessalonians together. And we've been spending 17 different weeks together. And there's a lot of ground that you cover in 17 weeks when you look at the scriptures together. There's a lot of life experience that happens in between and throughout those 17 weeks. And we've seen a lot. We've been throughout the Easter and Lent season together. We've seen another New England Patriots Super Bowl victory, unfortunately. <clears throat> but... Not to be distraught, we have also seen a University of Virginia national title in basketball, which no one cares about but me, and a handful of others apparently. But guys, you may have missed this, you probably missed this. Not only did we experience one UVA national title, but we actually experienced two because the men's lacrosse team over a week ago won the national title as well. So I can't, I can't help, maybe it's because, um, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe a little clapping there. I can't help, maybe it's because I have UVA on the mind. My wife and I are leaving this afternoon to go attend our 20th reunion at UVA this weekend in Charlottesville. And I know that sounds really old. 20th reunion, right? You guys aren't there yet, I'm sure, but... Um, I, I would ask for, for prayers for, for my dad and my mom as they watch our kids. That, that would be a prayer request. Uh, but we are very grateful for them for that so that we can experience it. But, uh, but really, in all seriousness, 17 weeks together in the Word of God, that is worth saying thank you, Lord, because we have learned a lot. 
And if you've been with us, or if you haven't, this is what we've been talking about. The book of 2 Thessalonians. We've been going through 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And this is really our final session. And I'm going to do what I can to tie up 2 Thessalonians and also summarize some lessons that we can take away from both books as we have looked at them together. And our theme has been that 2 Thessalonians is our reminder to wait well for Christ's return. 1 Thessalonians was our call to wait well. 2 Thessalonians is our reminder to wait well for Christ's return. And just for one final opportunity here, for those, I know Max, you, you've taken some great courses at Gordon-Conwell and you've looked at biblical history. You have yet to see maps like these, my friend. Every guy here will tell you this is one of the highlights. In fact, I want you to put that on the green sheet. The maps were the best part of your breakfast. Um, but these are, this is a, a map of Paul's second missionary journey happening roughly from AD 49 to 51. And this, it was during these years that Paul and his companions, Silas and Timothy, they traveled along this Ignatian Way, this blue line here. And then they got to these different communities around this area <clears throat> in Asia Minor, over here, and then all the way through modern-day Greece here. And they came to the Aegean Sea, and they came to this small community called Thessalonica. And they planted this church, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 17. And right from the start... This church was experiencing persecution and oppression from the community because the gospel was seen as a threatening message. And so, as we've looked at this book, the authors are Paul and Silas and Timothy. And this church planted around A.D. 51, this letter written about a year to 18 months later, A.D. 52... The purpose of 2 Thessalonians is to correct false teaching about the return of Christ and to encourage faithful and diligent living until the return of Christ. Because what had happened is, as they had written 1 Thessalonians, the deliverer of that letter came back to Paul and, and he said, they're experiencing some questions about the return of Christ because apparently someone has written a letter. This comes into play in our passage that we'll talk about today. Someone has written a letter claiming to be you, Paul, giving confusing details about the return of Christ that are not consistent with what we know to be true. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy took up pen through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit one more time and wrote them this letter, 2 Thessalonians, to correct the misrepresentations that had been happening because of a false letter. And it amazes me that in the midst of all of this, this young church of young believers was still sustaining a faithful posture of waiting well as they waited for the return of Christ. And I am encouraged by that and want to be changed by that. So let's look at the final three verses of this book. Draw some principles as we look at it today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. And notice the, the language of benediction and blessing that Paul and Silas and Timothy conclude this letter with here. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Three little verses but big principles that we can pull from these verses. 
as we consider our call to wait well. So the first principle is this. God gives us his peace. And I just read this verse in verse 16 one more time. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. That word is repeated intentionally at all times in every way. Uh, an author and a scholar, uh, J. Vernon McGee, who I mentioned, have mentioned several times, was one of the mentors of Dick Woodward, the late pastor emeritus here at the chapel. And in J. Vernon McGee's commentary after this verse, he has one line. Isn't this lovely? That's all he says about the verse. And, and the truth is, that's maybe all that needs to be said about the verse. I'll say a few more things about it, but, but it is, it's a lovely reality. God gives us his peace. His peace. In Greek, the word is erene. It is similar to, in meaning and understanding, to the Hebrew word that you have probably heard, shalom. And it's not just a, I feel good in the moment, but it's a holistic peace in totality. Because we have peace with our creator. And the Lord himself knows, guys, this world is full of disruption. This world is full of Regret. This world is full of pain. This world is full of difficulty. And looking out upon these faces, as you all have experience in life, as I can tell, you've experienced some trials and some challenges and some difficulties. And yet in the midst of this, God desires to give us his peace and to experience it. The Lord of peace, this is really the only time that the phrase the Lord of peace is used in the New Testament. Often God himself is referred to as the God of peace, but the Lord of peace, referring to Jesus Christ. He wants us to experience his peace. Yesterday morning, I recognized that I was, I was struggling to experience his peace. As I got up, and I don't know what it was, I, maybe I probably stressed and concerned about a number of different things, using my stress and my anxiety as, and my sin to justify my impatience and was impatient in responding to one of my sons. And as I drove to work, I was reminded of these words that I was going to teach this morning. And I thought, Lord, I have not experienced your peace. I have not exhibited the aspect of the fruit of the Spirit towards my son, whom I love, of patience. And therefore, I have not loved my son. And I, I had to seek him out. And say, I'm sorry, as I have not been experiencing the peace that Christ wants me to experience. I'm reminded of some words from Philippians chapter 4, which are memory verses that, from my days in high school, I, I can remember. We, we looked at these verses, and these verses have been foundational for me. As Paul writes in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything... But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the result, guys. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm also reminded of the words of Jesus himself in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The glorified, resurrected Christ dwells within you if you've trusted him by faith. And he desires to give you the gift of his peace each and every day, no matter what is happening in your life. This is such a theme of the scriptures, even this morning. 
What, what I try to do before I, you, you wake up and your mind starts racing, I need to get this done, how's this going to happen, the kids have got to get out to school, and I have to get out to work, and what needs to be taken care of before I leave, and um, I try to think about the scripture, the first thing on my mind, because my mind jumps ahead of, of my body in many ways, and so I take my watch, this is maybe a little bit cheesy, and I go to the YouVersion app on my watch, you can get it on your phone by the way too, and uh, the verse of the day for today, just as I read it there, lying in my bed, Isaiah 26, 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. So the trust that we can have in Jesus Christ, who's proven himself faithful, leads to the peace that he wants us to experience. My question to you guys today is, do you experience his peace? The next principle that we pull is that God gives us his presence. Maybe even more exciting in some ways than his peace is his presence. As we see at the end of the verse, the Lord be with you all. This is shocking, a shocking reality to think about the fact that the almighty and transcendent God is actually present with us, his creation. And that to me is a wonderful gift. That to me reminds me of the verses in Philippians 4, 8, and 9, which follow the verses in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. That's hopefully not too difficult to understand. But I love the connections that we see in the scriptures when we read these verses. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And here's the result. And the God of peace will be with you. Guys, this is the amazing reality of Jesus himself. Emmanuel, God with us, present with us. He is here right now. Jesus' words in Matthew 28, 20, which is the part of the Great Commission passage at the end of Matthew's Gospel. And Jesus promises his disciples, And behold, I am with you always. Literally in the Greek it says, I am with you all the days to the end of the age. That's a long time. He is always present with us. I try to... Um, to boil down some of these principles of the Bible simply, I say it's for my children, <laughs> um, but it's actually for me. Because I, I need to remember the ways to understand biblical truth that, that makes sense to me. And so I'll often remind my kids, and in doing so I'm reminding myself, that Jesus loves you, Jesus is with you, and Jesus is the King. Which means that he is present, to give his peace, so that, and he is, he is the king, so he is in charge, so that no matter what I'm experiencing, I can always go to him. And this is a foretaste and a reminder, guys, that one day when Christ returns, we will be fully in his presence in a way that we're not experiencing now. And it reminds me that that is one of the great themes that it goes throughout both First and Second Thessalonians is the return of Christ. A word that Paul and Silas and Timothy use, the parousia, this return of Christ to earth. And we've tried to make the case that the parousia, the return of Christ, is not just a moment, 
But it is the man himself, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, glorified. And we will experience eternity in his presence if we've trusted him by faith. So the question is, are you experiencing his presence? We move on to number three. God gives us his word. Gives us his word. Uh, We read in verse 17 an interesting phrase from Paul. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. It is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The principle at play here is, um, is what's called an amanuensis, as most scholars believe. And you can look in other writings of Paul, such as 1 Corinthians 16.21, Galatians 6.11, Colossians 4.18, even Romans 16.22, which indicates that there was a scribe who was dictating the words that Paul was writing under the inspiration or through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit onto parchment in these letters. And so uh, what Paul did in this moment is he picked up the pen himself, or the stylus, and he wrote in his own words, this is coming from the hand of me, from Paul. This shows you I wrote this letter. If you remember what we said at the beginning, a false letter had come apparently from Paul to the church in Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, and as a result of that, they were confused. And so Paul is saying, I am truly writing this letter. Uh, This idea of an amanuensis is one that has been used throughout many ancient times, and we even see it today. Uh, The word in ancient um, Latin, it literally means uh, within hand's reach, and it was a scribe. Um, Maybe maybe we think about it like in sort of an ancient courtroom stenographer. If you've ever seen or been a part in a courtroom, you have the person typing on their little stenio, is it a steniograph? Is that even the, the name of the machine? You know, it's, almost, it's not like a regular typewriter. It's like half the size, and I feel like two keys, one key stands for two letters. I don't even know. There's a story that has really nothing to do that I'm just going to tell because I think you guys need to smile a little bit here. But when I was in ninth grade, I grew up in a small town in Connecticut, and we had, as my kids do in school now, career day, and we had professionals come in, who were invited by the school to talk about what they did as far as their careers. And we, we had some really interesting people over the years, uh, Brian Williams from uh, formerly NBC Nightly News. And then we had uh, this one year, my freshman year, we had a courtroom stenographer and a gentleman who either engineered or helped design the Hubble telescope. I don't even remember his name. I just remember thinking, wow, that's, that's kind of an impressive feat. I don't know if he worked for NASA or some other uh, contractor, but this guy, this guy had something to do with the Hubble telescope. And as we're sitting there, you had an opportunity to ask questions of these people. Well, how did that work? And what was that like? How did you get into that field? And what did you experience? And like 95% of the questions for these two people were directed towards the courtroom stenographer. As she sat there, they're like, well, how do you know what to write? What if you mess up? How do you go back? What's it? And I'm like, my friend Tim is sitting in the back going, this dude designed like the Hubble telescope. (laughs) And all these people care about is this typewriter. I mean, anyway. So, thank you. Um, Again, very little to do. Amanuensis. It It was essentially a stenographer in ancient times. They would write down on behalf of the individual. Now, what I find fascinating in this is that 
Paul picks up the stylus and says, this is my letter, these are my words, this is my hand. But I'm reminded to the greater reality of when we look at this book, Paul was an apostle, one sent by God with the authority of God, of Jesus Christ, to plant the church and start the church and build up the church. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned this letter and countless other letters that we have throughout the New Testament. That's because God gave his word through this apostle to you and to me. And I'm reminded of the reality of when I pick up this book, the greatest selling book of all time, by the way, which I'm glad to hear, because it would be tragic if there were any other book that were the greatest selling book of all time. This is not just any other book. This is the word of God, gentlemen. This is the inspired, divinely inspired word of God himself to you, to me. And it's a gift because God could have let his people in the Old Testament, us in the church, New Testament now, times moving forward. He could have left us without any understanding of who he is and his will for our lives. But he has given it to us in his word. I'm so struck by the uniqueness of the Bible. And my goal is to know it more so that I might know the author more. So that I might respond more faithfully to the life that he has for me. That's how my own journey began. I I fell in love with the written word. And that eventually led me to fall in love with the living word, Christ himself. So my question to you guys is, are you experiencing his word? We move on to our final principle, that God gives us his grace. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This final benediction is a wonderful one because it reminds me of the reality of God's grace and the reality of my need for his grace, his grace which comes through his son, Jesus Christ. God's grace is his unlimited and unmerited favor to undeserving sinners like me and like you who apart from the reality of his grace and the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ we would be dead in our sins but now we are made alive by grace through faith in Christ Jesus amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me like you this is consistent with The words that Paul has used throughout 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. These are the final words of 1st Thessalonians. You'll notice this is almost exactly identical to the ending of 2nd Thessalonians. Except he says to be with you all. This was on Paul's heart. That his readers and that we would experience and understand God's grace. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy really end these two letters, and this letter especially, where they began. At the very beginning of 2 Thessalonians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question that we need to work through here, and we talked about this from the very beginning, is what are you waiting for? And how are you waiting for it? This is really what I want us to hone in as we have our final minutes here today. Final question then is, how do you wait well? Because we're all waiting for something, right? 
We're all waiting. It's either, it's either a, a good scenario that we're waiting for, something we're looking forward to with expectation, or, or maybe it's a difficult and painful situation that we're still waiting for that's on the horizon. But how are we waiting for it? Are we waiting well? Ultimately, guys, we're all waiting for the return of Christ. So how do we wait well? We said at the beginning of 2 Thessalonians here, this cartoon captures it well. I don't think we wait well by being slovenly and lazy. As this mother says to her two sons, this is a lawnmower here in this cartoon. Yes, it is exciting how near the minister thinks the second coming is. And no, in that case, mowing the lawn should not be a waste of time. So we understand that indeed we don't just sit back and just wait. Like my friend Mark's brother in California did. Every night until he died of sitting on the hood of his car looking up at the sky and saying, Jesus is coming, I'm just waiting. We are to be diligent. But is it just to be diligent? As a bumper sticker and a friend that in college had on his guitar case, Jesus is coming, look busy. Do, do, do we just look busy? Or actually, are we to be engaged diligently in the work he calls for us? I think you know the answer. So how do we wait well? The first way we wait well is we grow deeper through prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. A professor once said it's sort of like a hacking cough. <coughs> like in between the moments of what you're doing in life, you take time and you pray. By the way, just a hint, if you're thinking about memorizing some scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is a great place to start. Because then you have one verse. Pray without ceasing. I think you've got it. Just to let you know uh, something that we're taking part of here at the chapel, and I know some of you, uh, you gentlemen attend other churches, and that's great. I, will, I want you to be fully plugged in where you are. But uh, we are endeavoring this summer to take a deeper look at the discipline of prayer. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago. We're going to be encouraging morning, midday, and evening times of prayer with a directed prayers each day. It'll happen uh, five, time, five times a week for ten weeks. And so just thinking about that, 150 different times to pray throughout the summer. Um, if you're not a part of our, our fellowship here at the chapel, we can get you copies of this booklet. You just let me know or, or someone at your table who attends the chapel. And we would love to get this into your hands. As we, uh, even on these wristbands that we're going to be wearing uh, as a church that remind us, Lord, teach us to pray. We wait well by going deeper in prayer. We wait well by growing deeper through the word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you, believers. That's what we have right here. We need to be people of the word. We need to be men of the word in the word. Psalm 1 Verses 1 through 3 highlights this importance. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Thinking about you know, praying day and night as well. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. I, I want that kind of life, don't you? Again, trying to, to break biblical truth down into a pithy way that helps me to understand it. Again, I'll say, I'm doing this for my kids. I'm actually doing it for myself. I'm convinced. If we're going to be who God wants us to be, 
then we've got to be in God's word. And if you're not reading, you're not growing. I've seen that principle to be true in my life. Finally, we grow deeper through serving. We grow deeper through serving. This verse from 2 Thessalonians 3.13 highlights this truth. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Be diligent. Gentlemen, each one of us has been gifted by God through his Holy Spirit to serve and further his kingdom in some way. On your tables, that black and white uh, half page of paper is a publication that we put together last week as part of our Sunday services. Uh, Feel free to take that with you. That has listed out not all, but some of the many ways to serve in the local church. We we have those as expressions of serving here at Williamsburg Community Chapel. If you are plugged in in another body of Christ, I want you to be encouraged and challenged to serve there. The point is, serve somewhere in some way. Because the truth is, if you're not dead, you're not done. I, I, it's true. I, I heard that from a, a Christian conference speaker a few years ago. If you're not dead, you're not done. Have you thought of that? You still have miles to go, guys, and the Lord has work for you to do. I want to encourage you in closing with this quote from this book, The Land Between, by an author named Jeff Mannion, which has proven to be, um, Bible is most important, okay, the Bible is most important, but this book, at a certain season of my life, proved to be extremely helpful and encouraging, as he really challenges you, wherever you are, even in a difficult season of life, And this period of waiting for Christ's return for you may be difficult. But even in a difficult season of life, to make sure that you are waiting well. He says, remember that God is at work in all things. That he desires to shape and transform you. Resist the temptation to zone out, numb out, or check out. Pain is purposeful when we respond to God with open and receptive hearts in the midst of deep trial. God intends to grow something beautiful and deep and lasting, but we must cooperate with God for the season of hardship to work its intended transformation. Don't let your detour go wasted. You are in training, and God is up to something good. As we conclude, you have just a few moments, not many. But think about... um, What challenges you're experiencing as you wait? Maybe you just have time around your tables just to share what those challenges are. And then think how you can more fully experience God's peace, his presence, his word, and his grace while you wait. And then as you've gotten to know the guys around your table, maybe you have contact information. I would highly encourage you throughout the summer to maintain a connection with one another and encourage each other how you can pray for one another throughout the summer. And then as we prepare to come back on September 6th, just remember that First and Second Thessalonians call us to wait well for Christ's return. And the desire is to have a great summer of waiting well. So take just about two minutes or so and just share briefly with one another where you are heading into the summer. And then in just a moment, I will close us in prayer. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have given us your peace. Father, we are grateful that you have given us your presence. We are grateful that you have given us your word.
And we are certainly grateful that you've given us your grace through your son, Jesus Christ. And, and our desire is to wait well until Christ returns and to be found faithful and fruitful, to be found better rather than bitter. And we need your help each step of the way. As we move forward, Father, we are reminded of the words of 2 Thessalonians and asked that you, the God, the Lord of all peace yourself, would grant us your peace at all times in every way. We know that you are with us. We ask that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ would be with us as well as we move forward. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful summer. God bless.